Welcome to HBCU Highlights, where we spotlight and tell the stories of prestigious, historically Black college and university graduates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HBCU Highlights, where we highlight, spotlight, and showcase HBCU excellence. And today, we hit a home run, and you're going you're gonna to laugh when you figure out why I said we hit a home run. It's because we are interviewing our Spelman sister, our class of 98, classmate from Spelman College, Nicole McKenzie Whiteman. And ladies and gentlemen, she is the CEO of the Dodgers Foundation. So Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. We are excited to spotlight you. And I wanna know why did you choose to go to Spelman College? Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here with both you and Ashley. Just really glad you guys are doing this. This is very exciting. Um, my Spelman story is very um, ironic. Um, it was not one of the stories that you often hear of that little girl who was five years old, whose great grandmother went to Spelman or mom went to Spelman um, and she knew she was always going there. I actually um, grew up in New York City. Uh, I went to high school in Connecticut. I went to a private boarding school where I was the only white, excuse me, the only black female um, on campus all four years in my class at Canterbury School in New Milford, Connecticut, um, a place I had never heard of before, but I had received a scholarship in eighth grade recommended to me by my eighth grade counselor who essentially told my parents at the time that, you know, because of my academic success and also because of the success I had, and playing soccer at the time, that this would probably be a great school for me about two hours outside of New York City. So I was really excited. Who's excited at the age of 14 to leave home like it was college? Me. Um, but I was really excited um, and took that opportunity to go to New Milford, Connecticut, um, and always thought I would be going to a predominantly white college or university um, and potentially an Ivy League, which was kind of the path of most of the students who went to Canterbury and where folks went to school. And of course, there was zero knowledge of historically black colleges and universities um, because I was the only one in my class. And so my um, parents actually immigrated from a, the small island nation of Jamaica. And so I am the first um, generation college graduate in my family. And so I didn't even have a college person to say, oh, my mom went here, my dad went here, this is what I think I'm going to do, here's what I think I might, might, whatever, right? So in high school, I looked to my college counselor, really, uh, to suggest schools, which were the schools that were being suggested to all of the other boys and girls around me at Canterbury. I went to Emory um, in Atlanta to visit with my mom, and it was actually one of my safety schools. I kind of already knew where I was going to go to school, I had gotten some early um, acceptances uh, earlier on, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna check out these safety schools. I went to visit Emory, and while we were in Atlanta, a friend of my mom said, you guys have to go visit Spelman. Um, to be totally honest at the time, she and I had no idea what Spelman was. And so I stepped on the campus, and you ladies know it best, it was like the most glorious aha moment I had ever experienced. Um, I had never seen that many beautiful black women who just exude Ella's excellence without even opening their mouth, um, just walking the campus. And so we did our tour and we went through the entire experience. And I basically went back to New York from Atlanta and told my dad that I was going to Spelman College. Um, and he was like, no, you're not because you have money and acceptances to go elsewhere. Um, and so that began that journey. But 
um, the Spellman story was very unique for me. I did not have a, a family member who had previously gone and I honestly had no knowledge of the school before I actually stepped on the campus. Wow, Nicole, your experience is very similar to mine. I know the school that I went to, I was um, one of just a few African-American students that were there. Um, no one was really encouraging or pushing me to go to an HBCU. That's why it's so important for us to spotlight people like you um, with these interviews so people know how awesome HBCUs are and the type of um, pedigree, you know, yes. that comes out of these schools. Yes. So talk to us about your experience at Spelman and how that experience shaped you into the woman you are today. Wow. Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, continuing upon my story, I actually was able to attend because I received two scholarships, a UNCF scholarship, as well as a Jackie Robinson Foundation scholarship. Um, and that was still not even enough to cover me every year for the four years. And so I decided to major in economics and minor in management and organization. Um, but I worked throughout the entire four years of school and not just a work study job, but I always had a work study job and one or two additional jobs off campus. Um, so ironically, there's a lot of people in my class who honestly I did not interact with because I was very busy um, all four years between carrying the course load, working in, I, I did my work study in the financial aid office. I wanted to be really close to the money. Um, and then I also um, worked off campus in various jobs. Um, but even with all of that, my experience was amazing. People ask me all the time, did you pledge, whether it be AKA or Delta? I actually didn't pledge because for me, Spelman itself was a sorority. Um, it was a group of women and an experience I had never experienced before, as I mentioned. And so for me, I just wanted to, it to be holistic. Like that whole thing for me was just one big like girl gang. Um, and I was happy to be a part of it. Um, the reality is I feel like it's what made me whole. I didn't realize till I got to Spelman that I was missing so much, right? I had not gone to schools where I had, was learning about African-American history, not just from a textbook, but from your roommate who's from North Carolina or your roommate who's from Alabama or the girl who sits in class with you who's from Tennessee or that girl who's from LA. I would have never known anything about LA. But basically I felt like to know that there are so many beautiful women and our brothers across the street that treat at Morehouse um, who all are striving for this amazing excellence, right? You come from places where you were like top of your class, but we were all moving in that direction of just wanting to be the best. Um, Spelman kind of puts that cap on you that says you can be the best. Um, you are the best. Your skin is beautiful because of your skin. You can be so many amazing things. Um, and so I tell people all the time, it's where I gained the utmost confidence, the utmost confidence, which I know is what I use today to lead. Wow. You have an incredible story and I'm so glad that we, are spotlighting your story and I just want to take you back to eighth grade when you decided to leave home at 14 to go away to this uh, boarding school because it's very rare um, for a young black woman to attend boarding school first of all and then to be the only black at the school and go from that to being immersed around predominantly you know primarily African-American women and men in the Atlanta University Center. Uh, was there any culture shock for you or did you have to adjust or adapt in any way um, that you felt 
you know, would have been different from someone that didn't have that experience that you had at that boarding school? Yeah, definitely adapted. Um, I adapted for two reasons. One, because my family was from Jamaica. And while I am forever um, reminded of who I am and was always reminded of who I am by my parents, um, I laugh and I tell people all the time, I thought I was born in Jamaica until I was about 16 years old because we were immersed in our culture. We ate Jamaican food. We went to Jamaica once or twice every year. My family, in terms of my dad's brothers and sisters and my cousins, were very close. Um, my parents, again, you know, I was first generation American. And so I, I was immersed in the, in the West Indian culture. And then at the same time, when you, when you say the, you know, then I was immersed in this predominantly white American culture, when I got to Spelman, um, there was a culture shock. And it was interesting because I always felt like, oh, should I know that? Oh, should I know that? Um, but I was learning so much freshman year about the African-American experience, right? Um, sounds crazy, but I was, especially coming from New York, where honestly, like you can feel like you're in little Caribbean, West Indian, like New York. It's, it's very, um, you know, of the islands, depending on what circles you, you run into as well. So when it came to, to um, Spelman, I always tell this funny story about how freshman year, I walked into the cafeteria and I was with my roommate um, and everybody was just going through the line and they were grabbing their food. And I started asking questions about what was that? And those cafeteria ladies were looking at me like, why is she asking? What is that? I was so embarrassed. I never did that again. Um, I just asked my roommates and kind of went about my business, but there were even foods that I had never had before, but yet they were so similar to Jamaican, right? Like I, we eat something called collaloo. Okay, collard greens, same difference, different green, cooked a little bit different, but I had not had collard greens before I got to Spelman, frankly, but I had collaloo. You may not have even had fried okra either before you got to Spelman. <laughs> I sure had not. Yep, you are right, but I love it to this day. <laughs> Me and you both, girl, I was taking chunks of that fried okra every, every other day, however often they cooked it, but I love me some fried okra. haven't had it in a while. So Nicole, you know, you had this wonderful experience, although, you know, quite a learning curve for you and many of us coming into Spelman. Um, but when you, when you walk through that arch and you graduated and you had, I'm sure, several job offers, can you talk to us about that journey, um, getting to where you are today as the CEO of the Dodgers Foundation? Yeah, I remember on graduation day just crying, y'all. I couldn't talk to people. I almost like don't remember most of it because I think I cried the whole day because it was such a massive accomplishment. It was so, I did it, I did it for so many reasons, right? Like speaking of how I got there and just thinking about the economics major that I for so many, at so many different opportunities was like, I am changing this. What was I thinking? the minor in management and organization, I did a um, internship with an investment bank every summer. So even the summer that um, the Olympics were in Atlanta, I stayed in Atlanta and worked for Wachovia, but every other summer I went to New York. Um, but it was a trial. It was a lot. My parents divorced, um, basically dropped me at Spelman um, and essentially told me before they left me that we're getting divorced. So my experience um, for those four years was rough for that purpose. And I have younger brothers and sisters and one who's older. So it was like, we were all going through that in very different places. And I had to 
augment the scholarships with the financial aid and the work study and other jobs just to kind of make it through. And at the time, honestly, just because of what my parents were even going through, they were not able to help me. Um, and so it was a lot. There was a overflow of independence, even though I had received that level of independence going to this boarding school at the age of 14. It was a different level of independence. There was no hopping on the Metro North and ending up back at home in two hours door to door. This was like, you're going to drive 13 hours if you want to go back to New York, you know, for whatever comfort or solace you think you need from your parents or family. Um, so that four years was an experience. But again, I feel like it's what made me right. It like gave me this backbone to just be like, oh, you could get through this. You can get through this. You could get through this. You can get through anything. So graduation was just, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed, just, I cried like the whole day, didn't know how to feel, but knew I just felt like I had conquered the world. Like, this is it. And oh my gosh, I haven't graduated from college and nobody in my family, my immediate family um, has, has had this opportunity. What a feeling, what a, what a cross I carry now, you know, like that was very much in my mind as well. Um, but I knew that early on, I did the econ major because I wanted to go into investment banking. I wanted to go back to New York and work on Wall Street. Like that's what you do, right? And the schools came to recruit at Spelman. And to Ashley's point, I had I had offers. I was very lucky to have done the summer associate and internship positions. Um, and I took that job with JP Morgan Chase and was like, yeah, this is where I'm going. Back to New York. Dream realized. Let's do this. <laughs> Well, so you realize that dream and, and what a dream and what big shoulders um, and, you know, footprints that you're leaving just, first of all, amongst your family members. So to be the first in your entire family to go to college, you're a role model for your siblings. And then to now be the CEO of the Dodgers Foundation. So let's talk about that. So do you have to know about baseball? Do you have to, <laughs> I mean, obviously you know about money, but it's one of those roles that when you open up a magazine and you see your face as the CEO, um, I was that young woman that would see people in the magazine just like you and say, how did she get to that role? So tell us exactly, how did you go from investment banking, from being on Wall Street, to the CEO of the Dodgers Foundation. And do you apply those skills at all? Um, did you transfer any of those skills? Just tell me exactly from A to Z and a few yeah. minutes how you did it. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I thought that the dream was realized with the investment management position back in New York, in the Big Apple. This is a finance thing. This is what I've been working for. And I would say after about a year, I realized that that was not what was going to make me happy. Um, I was not thrilled going to work every day. I wasn't excited about what I was doing. I was excited about being in New York and about the network that existed at post school, but the job was not, um, it wasn't moving me. And so my first year out of, out of college was actually a pretty hard one professionally because I questioned what I was doing every single day. And I was kind of rolling with it because my friends were rolling with it, whether they worked where I did or at other investment banks or consulting firms. This is what you do, right? This is what you do. But I quickly, thankfully, came to realize that that was not what I loved. That was not what I loved. And I um, had a roommate who had a, a friend who worked in the publishing space. He worked for Essence Magazine and a marketing job became available. And I just said, you know, I'm going to go interview for this job. And she was like, I really think you should. You just never know. 
Um, I went to on an interview with the vice president of marketing for Essence Magazine, and she hired me. Um, she hired me on the spot. She told me the job was mine. Um, she's a mentor of mine to this day. Love Karen Thomas to death. Um, and she said she hired me because she said I came in the door with the skills and the confidence, confidence um, and the assets that showed her that I was going to be able to do the job no matter what the job was. And so I started out in publishing and I worked in the marketing and the advertising and the sponsorship pace, space over about six years with Essence Magazine and then with Black Enterprise Magazine. And while I was with Black Enterprise Magazine, I had the opportunity to relocate to L.A. Um, I had just met my husband. I told him I was moving to L.A. He asked me to marry him and said, I'm moving to L.A. too. And so that's how that happened. It was a very short period of time. A lot of transition had happened in my life. This was all occurring at the time when 9-11 happened. And so I was also living by coastal at the time, which was pretty interesting. Um, and at that point, I also knew I wanted to be in L.A. And so I was here working for Black Enterprise Magazine, um, you know, loving what I did. And I went to a conference in Arizona and I met the president and CEO of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. And she said to me, you know, um, we're opening an office in L.A. to supplement the headquarters in New York City. You having had been a scholarship recipient um, and really understanding our foundation and what it does for, you know, young minority children, how about you come help us open up this office? And I thought to myself, I had never thought about nonprofit management. I didn't study that. You know, am, am I going to be broke? Because here I was on the, on the path to let's do investments. Let's do, you know, let's do marketing. Let's do advertising. And so um, I ended up like thinking about it over about a six month period. And finally, it, something just called me and pushed me to say, this is what you need to do. And I took the job and I became the Western Region Officer for the Jackie Robinson Foundation basically covering everything from the St. Louis and West, essentially, which, which meant that I met all of the folks who worked for Major League Baseball teams and a lot of corporations outside of baseball at the time um, who we got to sponsor scholarships for students as well as um, students who we were recruiting from all of those states. And so I worked on the program side, I worked on the fundraising side. I tell people all the time, I feel like I got a doctoral degree in nonprofit management working for the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Um, I got really close to the family. And so Rachel and Sharon um, became extremely dear to me as they are today. Um, and that was sort of my segue into the semi-baseball world, even though the scholarship is an education scholarship for any child of any major um, who really wants the money, but also wants the, um, the leadership and development component and the network that the scholarship provides to you. And so I was with the Jackie Robinson Foundation for about six years. Um, a recruiter called me. I went to work for a, a public school reform organization called LA's Promise here in LA, which was really nice because with Jackie Robinson Foundation, I traveled a lot. I was on planes two or three times a week to different cities. It was nice to be in LA. It was nice to understand the Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, I had had my first son by that time. And so, you know, being home a little bit more and understanding all of that made a whole lot of sense. And then I, um, I went to work for College Summit, which is a college access organization based out of DC, but I was the executive director of the San Francisco office and the LA office. And I had only been there for less than a year when I was helping the, the Dodgers, um, the new ownership group, uh, I would say voluntarily consulting on some events that I had started when I was at the Jackie Robinson Foundation that they were thinking about picking up. Um, and two executives in a meeting uh, said to me, why haven't you applied to be the executive director of our foundation? 
And I was very honest and said, I didn't know you were hiring someone to be your executive director. I don't know what the Dodgers Foundation does. I'm not really sure like what your vision and your mission is. Um, I remember going out into the parking lot that day because they said to me, hey, you know what? We are at the point where we were about to offer someone the job. We're relocating this woman from another state. But we really think that you should throw your hand, throw your, you know, your, your, your head in, in this whole search period. Um, I went to the parking lot. I called my husband. I told my husband, you know, these people must be like totally kidding me. This must be a joke. This is like really funny. Ha ha ha. And he was like, they are not joking. I had an evening event to go to. I went to the dinner and came home. It was like 11 o'clock. And my husband was like, didn't they ask you to send their resume to them tonight? And I was like, they sure did. He's like, so we're going to do that right now. And I was like, my resume is not even updated. We updated it. I hit send. I woke up the next morning and I had an email from the recruiter who asked me to have breakfast. I went to have breakfast with her. I spent the next maybe 14 to 20 days interviewing with our ownership, Mark Walter with Magic Johnson. Um, it was pretty intense. I was overwhelmed. I was like, what is happening right now? Um, but I accepted that moment, accepted that interview process, um, you know, had to tell College Summit I was moving on. They were all like, we would have moved on too. Like, this is a great opportunity. Um, and for the first time I said, I had gotten my dream job and really meant it. Um, this was the mature, everything melted in one place, Nicole. So when you say, you know, how did the JP Morgan piece, it's like, I'm running a small business. The Dodgers Foundation is a standalone 501c3. We are obviously operating in the grandeur of the big, big brand that is the Dodgers. Um, but the opportunity to also help so many kids, you know, who feel like I felt at the, at the ages where they are in life, um, it's huge. You know, I get paid to give back to help vulnerable communities. Um, but I get to use that business savvy, that marketing savvy, that advertising savvy and all that I took with me along the way. And it all, it all really does melt here, melts right here. Wow, Nicole, you are a boss. <laughs> always been a boss and I'm listening to you and I'm just grabbing all these nuggets that you're sharing. And um, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, none of this just happened by chance, girl, you didn't get lucky. You know, this was your destiny. You are confident, you're brilliant, you're smart. And so many people see that in you and you're like, really, what? You want me to show up when? You know, and you're, you're making it happen. What would you tell that 17-year-old Nicole, you know, all that you know now, what would you turn around and tell her um, when you were starting Spelman years ago? What would you yeah. share with her knowing what you know now? I would tell her, one, to continue to keep working as hard as I worked. And um, sometimes you got to put your head down and do the work because you just never know who's watching. And that's where I believe all my success has come from, right? Just be humble, put your head down and do the work and you will get what is due to you. I would also tell myself to take care of myself. Um, I think that along the way, you can work so hard that you forget about that inner being that emotional person, that, that, that spiritual person, um, that is, that's all a part of you. That's gonna be just as important to that success when you reach you know, those pivotal points. Um, and so what I would tell myself you know, then is yes, continue to hard work, work hard, put your head down, success will come, um, but also make sure you take care of yourself along the way because that is just as important. It really is. Well, thank you for those words of wisdom. You know, I mean, you, as, as Ashley just said, have dropped so much knowledge and 
there's so many people watching this who aspire to be like you. And I'm just wondering who was your role model um, when you were a teenager, if you had to choose one? So I feel like I, I, I will, I definitely have to defer to my parents. I say my parents because they worked so hard. When I think about my dad and he was in a situation where, you know, they, I have two brothers and two sisters. So there's five of us in, in total. My dad would go to work on a regular sort of eight to four. He would come home. He would change. He would go back to work and do an evening job. Um, in the middle of all of that, he still cooked. He still figured out how to be there for us. We didn't feel like he was absent. Um, he was like Superman. Um, and I always felt like, wow, this idea of you can sort of have it all if you work really hard um that was pushed into me by my parents you know their desire and motivation to come to this country for a better life for the children that they didn't they didn't, they didn't yet have at the time but they knew that that part was going to be important they're foreshadowing their vision um really my parents um you know there's a lot of amazing um, characters in the world who, who motivate me today, for sure. Amazing personalities who motivate me today, for sure. And, and folks who I felt the power from as I was growing up, like a Jackie Robinson. Um, today, I am enamored with Melody Hobson like no other. Um, her, I just, I hang on her every word. Um, but my parents were my ultimate role model in terms of, you can do this because I saw them do it. It was that whole leading by example. Great. Now, you are clearly giving back as just in your role as CEO of the Dodgers Foundation. Is there any unique um, projects or anything that you've been a part of since you started your, your new role where you can say, hey, that happened under my tenure as CEO of the Dodger Foundation in terms of what we've been able to give back or contribute to the community? Yeah, you know what? We started a program um, that we called Dodgers RBI that began, um, the RBI acronym is Reviving Baseball in Inner Cities in 2014, um, a, a couple months after I had came on board. And the reality is it's, it's probably so thrilling for me because there are 11,000 boys and girls who participate in this youth development program throughout Los Angeles in some of the most challenging communities. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I just literally go to the grocery store and a family taps me on the shoulder and talks about um, that college experience that we were able to give them, whether it be a tour or a workshop or the fitness clinic, or my son would have never played baseball and softball because of the expense um, that comes with the sport if it wasn't for you and your foundation. Um, the families have ignited me in a way that is like, wow. Um, being able to produce something that has, has come to where it is over the last six years um, with all of these families across all of these miles who are getting so many resource, resources from us that are education resources, health resources, um, and the opportunity to engage in sport, which is so important for a child's life because of the social emotional lessons and the teamwork aspect that, so that sports really does teach a human being. Um, it's thrilling for me. It's a base. Um, that excites me to do at what I do every single day. Um, I wanna see kids matriculate throughout our program. I wanna see um, families take pride um, in themselves and in their children and what they do because of what we're able to provide. Um, there's a lot of struggling communities in the country. There's a lot of struggling communities right here in LA. 
And it's just rewarding to have created something that they can latch onto and that they feel a part of. Um, it's really special. Well, congratulations, Nicole, on just realizing your dream and having a career that pays it forward 24-7. I mean, to actually get a scholarship from an organization that hires you, you really went full circle. And sounds like you had your family, including your parents, to push and encourage you. But not only that, your husband to basically push you to say, hey, you know, they're not joking. Let's apply. Let's see what's going to happen. And now you have your own family. So tell us more about your own family uh, with your children. And are you pushing them to play sports? Or do you have a future Dodgers players on your hand? Or are we looking at a CEO? <laughs> Probably all of the above. Um, I have two beautiful boys and a um, half daughter. And so my daughter is actually the oldest. And I say she was my first child, my first peek into like what motherhood would even be. Um, she'll be a, a sophomore in college at Guilford College in North Carolina this coming fall. My first son um, will be 17 in September. He'll be a junior this fall. I know, insane, crazy, crazy, crazy. My um, last son is 11 um, and he would have been experiencing a fifth grade graduation in the next couple of weeks, but obviously given where we are, he is, um, they're doing it in a creative way, but he'll be in middle school in the fall. And so he'll be in sixth grade. Um, my children are quite independent um, because they have had to be. And I think that that has pushed them and motivated them um, to, to, to try so many different things. So my boys do play sports. Um, and they are at, they have literally what Tim and I said was when they were of age for everything, we would take them out and we would see what stuck. The funny joke is that everything stuck. So they wanted to play everything. They never backed down from anything. And so we have had to sort of temper them in terms of, oh, you can't play six sports a year. You kind of need to do this. Um, especially for my, my, um, my son, TJ, who's in high school, he's a baseball player as well as a basketball player. Um, and that's a tough thing just to play two sports in high school. It really is tough. Um, my young one continues to play three sports. You know, he's a baseball player. He's a basketball player. Um, he's a soccer player. And he also plays um, just uh, amateur golf with my husband. So he, he's busy all the time. Um, our schedule is pretty crazy. They have both played instruments. Um, they have both been in leadership programs. Um, some of that, they don't have a choice, uh, you know, things come my way and I'm like, oh, you should do this. And they always say, oh, that means that you're saying we, we have to do this. Um, but I feel like I've given them so many different things to try. And I like to see what sticks. I don't, I want to be that parent who's forcing you to do anything or, um, who's wasting dollars per se for something that you just didn't want to do. Right. We've seen that happen one too many times. Um, and right now it's crazy to think that, you know, in two years we'll have, another in college, um, which is interesting because he's ready, like ready to go, ready to, you know, just excited to see the, the young man that he's maturing into. My 11 year old ironically wants to go to a private boarding school, not far from here in Santa Barbara. Um, and so he's heard me talk a lot about Canterbury over the last couple of years, because I've done a lot of speaking engagements. And so um, definitely supporting that and we'll see where that goes. But um, they're amazing young men. I always say they get on my nerves all the time, but they really are amazing young men. Um, and I'm just excited to see kind of where they go next. But um, yeah, really special, special, special children. Wow. Sounds like you'll be an empty nester soon. <laughs> soon. That's pretty awesome. 
But Nicole, look, if, if you are breathing, right, and you're watching this show or that show, you might see you, you know, um, maybe on, I don't know, a commercial speaking about what you're doing or you're being highlighted um, with the Dodgers. I think even the New York Times has recently released um, some more information about you and the great things that you're doing. But for those of us that are focused and intentionally looking for you, where can we find you um, social media wise um, as far as your foundation? Where should we go? Yeah, so I am um, on Twitter at Nicole Whiteman, N-I-C-H-O-L. I have that um, unique first spelling of my name. Um, also, the work of the Dodgers Foundation is at Dodgers Foundation on Facebook or on Instagram. And then we're at Dodgers FBN on Twitter. Um, we're very active in posting all of the work that we do. And obviously, as the CEO, you see my face pretty often in the work that we do. Um, so you'll catch me in those two places. Um, I'm on Instagram um, um, as NTMW um, and also on Facebook as Nicole McKenzie Whiteman as well. Well, Nicole, you are so unique and you are so amazing. And Ashley and I would like to thank you so much for taking the time out to tell your story. And you have such an inspiring story. And I guarantee that there is some young teenager watching this who now is asking her mother about boarding school or asking her mother about Spelman and looking at a sports team and saying, hey, I can be like Nicole. So thank you so much for sharing your story. We're so excited uh, to have you here today because we know you're busy. You're a wife, you're a mother, and you are the CEO of the Dodgers Foundation. So now all of you see why I said we hit a home run with this interview. Um, so thank you so much for being here and thank you all for watching. Thank you for joining us on HBCU Highlights.